The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. So just so you know that, that is hard to believe, folks, five weeks away. Can you believe that? Five or six. I may be off a Sunday there, but it's, it's close. The holidays are upon us. Also want to remind you, because of the holiday this week, it is in your bulletin. The office will be closed Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday because of the holiday. So if you need anything done, uh, Judy will be in the office for a half day tomorrow, and I'll be there Monday and some of Tuesday as well. So just so you know that. Uh, so if you want to do all those great things in the parking lot, like spin donuts, and no, please don't do that. Uh, we have two, We already have people who do that with, that don't go to our church, so it is what it is. But, you know, as we enter this tenth comma- or ninth commandment, I just this is a tough commandment, as all of them have been, but this is one that many of us struggle with because we struggle with being okay with who God has made us. Don't tell lies. Don't bear false witness. And I want to share a story with you uh, that happened. Many of you saw this on my Facebook feed a few weeks ago, but it's about a ghostwriter. Has anyone ever heard that term before, ghostwriter? You know, you always wonder who writes books for these big names and things. Often it's a guy behind the scenes that gets paid very little to do a great work that someone else takes credit for. Well, a few weeks ago, I was on a a website that I often frequent. I've been on there for almost 10 years as a freelance writer, and uh, it's called Upwork, upwork upwork.com. And on there, people can bid you jobs and say, hey, I, I think your skill will match my project. Well, I will not say his name, and many of you would know if I did, but uh, many times, big-time pastors, and I don't mean this in any way to my writing ability, but big-time pastors will go on there anonymously and, and try and get people to write their sermons. True story. And they will pay people to ghostwrite their sermons a very good wage to do that. Well, a, a, a pretty well-known pastor came to me and said, Darren, I, I, I've seen your work. It's, it's, it's decent enough for me. Well, okay, thanks. That's, that's, that's good to know. <laughs> Uh, I would like you to write a book for me about a subject, 300 pages, and the sum was pretty good. And he said, what do you say? And I said, no, I will not write your book for you. I, he, I said, will my name be on that book? He said, no, my name, the pastor's name, will be on that book. I said, sir, that is lying. I will not write that book for you. Well, this is what the industry does, Darren, don't you know? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. I said, yes, I understand that, but I will not write that book for you. This is not me trying to be on a moral high horse or anything like that, but that pastor could not get past the fact that I couldn't understand that he was too busy to write that thing, so therefore I should be obligated to bow before his authority and write this for him no matter what the sum. He even said, I'll give you X amount more if you do this. I said, sir, that is lying. If you can stand before the Lord and say that your sermon was written by you, your book was written by you, that's one thing. But I cannot stand before the Lord and say that I wrote your book and you're taking credit for it and making money off it to line your own pockets. He blocked me right after that. You say, well, Darren, that's a little extreme, isn't it? I mean, don't we do this all the time? I mean, is it, is it wrong to throw a fake pass? I mean, did you ever think about that? Is it wrong when your kid asks you the question, did you let me win that board game? Is it okay to say a lie? Is it, is it okay when, you're, when your wife or your significant other says to you, how do I look in this, and you may not have dated them if they would have worn that way back when? You know, I mean... Where do you draw the line? 
And that's no comment. My wife looks good everywhere at any time. I want you to know that. But many of you have been in that situation where that's been a moral dilemma for you. How do you handle this? Well, friends, I am here to tell you this pastor, and I'm so sad for this, friends. I would rather that I struggle and give you a, 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 I don't know, a a terrible sermon. But I honestly know I spent time in this word, and it tore me up, even though if it didn't mean anything to you, it tore me up, than to rather line the pockets of a pastor who's too busy hobnobbing with people to stand before the Lord and do the work that God's called him to do. And I'm not saying that as a moral high horse. That's not my point. But do you see how even in ministry, to get ahead, people are willing to sacrifice the integrity of the word and the integrity of God to get there? 91% of Americans in the latest poll, and I think there's probably nine more percent who are lying, said they do, 91% admitted they had struggles with lying and exaggerating the truth. Friends, this is why Proverbs says it this way. It says, a false witness, Proverbs 19.9, shall not be unpunished. And he that speaketh lies, I love the old King James here, he that speaketh lies shall perish. I mean, friends, lying, telling the truth comes in different ways. Look, there are straight up lies, aren't there? When you make something up to get yourself out of the jam, man, traffic was so bad today, boss. I mean, no, you just woke up 30 minutes late and you're trying to cover your butt. That's pretty much what it is. There are half-truths or twisted where you say something that's technically true but aren't clearly saying it. Kind of like KU fans said yesterday, KU has a great football team. No, you played a really bad Texas team, and that's how it went. Then there's exaggeration and stretching the truth. You exaggerate a truth to make a point, or you inflate your success to make yourself look better. And I'm looking at my pastor friends in here, ministry students who are here, seminary students, We know pastors do this all the time, even honest pastors. Well, what's your average attendance? You know what pastors do? We take our highest attendance Sunday, which is usually Easter or Christmas, and what do we do? John, you know know pastors that do this. They take their average attendance Sunday, and they say, that's what it is. We had 300 people here. Well, that's not necessarily your your thing. Or you hear reports, even in in our state newspapers, 10,000, 15,000 people came to know the Lord. Praise the Lord if that's true, but often that's not. Even in ministry, friends, we want to be honest with our numbers. Look, if God brings us down to five people, me and my wife and kids, and all y'all the rest leave, we're going to be honest with the stats and say we had five people show up, right? That's what we're going to do. Friends, there are lies that avoid owning up to things we've done or not done. Like when you tell your boss you couldn't get your job done because your PC froze up when you're really using a Mac. You know, if, that, if you're a Mac user, you understand that. Or there's lies we tell to avoid confrontation or awkward situations. By that, I don't mean you shouldn't be judicious in how you give the truth or be polite, but you don't have to say every negative thing that comes in your mind. So, for instance, when you, and I've had to be in this position as a boss before, in a secular position, where you, are, you fire someone, and you, do you tell them the reason you're firing them, or do you just say, well, we just had cutbacks, and therefore you have been let go? Friends, if we believe this commandment, we need to tell them why they're getting fired, don't we? Or that old thing that says it's when you're breaking up with someone and you're trying to make it soft. You, oh, come on. You know what's coming. It's not you. It's me. No, it's really them, but really you're just trying to soften the blow. Or, you know, or even worse, you blame it on Jesus. I want to date you, but Jesus is forbidding me from dating you. I'm sorry. He gave me a divine sign. I'm fine. What does it really mean to bear false witness? How do we break this ninth commandment? You see how easily subtle, like all these, it comes in. Here's the big idea today, folks. If you're visiting with us or you haven't been around in a while, the big idea is a rifle shot thesis for the whole sermon. And we are to tell the truth 
and people will really hear you when you tell them you love them. And when you really love people, they will hear you when you must speak the truth to them. Friends, that is the truth of what the Bible says. You know, there's a one quote, Ron Swanson, if you know that movie, he said, there's one thing I hate more than lying. It's skim milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. <laughs> you know, that's how a lot of Christians are when it comes to handling God's truth. We say it's one thing when it's really not, or we mix it the other way. Friends, we need to realize that there is truth-telling to be told. We need to tell the world that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and not tell him or the world that, oh, yeah, just believe whichever you want to believe. It's okay. No, we need to be up front, but we need to do so with God's grace. So where are we going today? I want to look at three things. We're a Baptist church. Three things are what we do. So we are going to look at three things. We're going to make two observations, as we have been doing the last several weeks. We're going to look at those things. Then we're going to ask, what does God think about this? And thirdly, we're going to ask that question, how can we overcome this? Because 91% of people say they have a lying problem. It's kind of like when you go up to someone on the street and you ask them, have you ever broken God's Ten Commandments? And they say, no. Have you ever told a lie? And they say, no. And you say, bingo, I got you in that first one right there. Everyone has done it. So friends, as we review this, I want to ask, how do we glorify God in this? How do we overcome this? If you've been with us, we know the first commandment says, no other gods before God himself. The second commandment is no graven images. The third says not to take the Lord's name in vain, more than just a verbal. The fourth says take a Sabbath rest. The fifth commandment says honor your parents, the institution, at home or for life. The sixth commandment reminds us not to murder unlawfully. There is room for self-defense nationally and personally. The seventh commandment reminds us of no adultery. That's not just someone cheating physically. That begins in the mind, as James tells us. And last week we looked at not stealing that stealing is more than just giving away. It's actually a generosity problem that, again, starts from the heart. And today, not bearing false witness. So if you'll join me in standing as we read this morning, uh, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, we're just going to read that one verse. I'll read it a couple times, and uh, we'll let that sink in. I apologize. Uh, we're, we have sickness running at our home this morning, so I've got a little nasally thing. So thank you for uh, dealing with that this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. One more time. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Will you bow with me as we pray this morning? Father, it is so easy in a culture such as ours to let your truth or any truth that is truth not to be truth for sake of our reputations, for sake of our advantages, Father, for sake of our perceptions. Father, I pray that as Christians we are the most honest people But, Father, as we are honest, Lord, that you would lead us deeper and deeper into the honesty of us before you. Father, there are many in this room who have not come to know Jesus as Savior, that your Spirit would show them honestly, forthrightly, and rawly how much they need you. Father, for those of us here who have just been walking through the motions this week, who know Christ, Father, may you deal with us through your Spirit with the sin that is before us. Father, we confess our sin. We know that it is there, but thank you so much that the honest truth is, is that you have forgiven us past, present, and future. May we not take that for granted or for license. Father, we pray these things to the glory and advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated, guys. You may be seated. What I want to do first off is just make a couple remarks as we start out about the study itself. Where does this lead us? Where does this take us? The first thing I want you to note is that it's interesting, isn't it, that in God's divine plan, 
that the commandment about lying or bearing false witness comes at the very end, or almost the, the second to the last, really, of the commandments themselves. That is the unique thing, is that it's at the very end of the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, every commandment kind of comes back to the same. Adultery, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. You lie about that. No, I have not clicked on that website. No, I have not thought that thought. No, I'm not doing that. David did this. If you steal last week's sermon, your lying is like the glue that solidifies you in every other sin. You weave a web of lies, and Satan takes that, doesn't he? And he makes that into a web of lies and gets you in a place where you feel like you literally cannot repent. Why is that? Because lying is inevitably the way we break all of the other commandments. It really is. It goes back to lying. Lord, I worship you and you alone. No, you don't. You might say that and you might try and do that, but honestly, your heart's not always set on that. Lord, I honestly took a Sabbath rest. I really wasn't trying to break that. Lord, I've not put an idol in front of you. Friends, we break this all the time through lying and bearing false witness, even before the Lord to our own neighbors. Second observation I want to be specific about and get a little more deeper into is that this commandment actually says something very specific. It's very, very specific. It does not simply say, thou shalt not lie, does it? What does it say? It says, thou shalt not, or you shall not, bear false witness against your what? Your neighbor, right? The focus of the command is on distorting the truth in a way that harms your neighbor. That is very, very appropriate because the commandment has one eye on truth and one eye on your neighbor. That's what good Bible study does, friends. Bible study, when you come here, you're not just coming to be fed sermon and word so you can consume it and keep it all in. You're doing that with an eye on your neighbor, whether that's your Christian neighbor, whether that's your Christian or non-Christian neighbor. And there was a kind of surprising thing I found as I studied this week is that throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy, Whenever Moses talks about this commandment in particular, it's in the context of a rich person, a a very rich, a wealthy person, yielding influence in a court in a way that distorted the truth against the poor. In other words, they were swinging around the rich weight to get out of paying a fine or having something happen. I told you before, I'm a big Law and Order fan. Is Is that show still on? We don't have a TV at home. Is that show still on, Law and Order? It's like in its 57th season or something like that. It's been around forever. It's kind of like Days of Our Lives and all those odd soap operas we watch. You know, and one of those things they always, in Law and Order, one of the things I always remember from those episodes was that people would try, the rich people would try and use their influence of bribes or or power or politics to get out of doing something. And you say, well, Darren, that makes sense, but, um, you know, in court of law, the, the rich people shouldn't tell lies and poor people should have equal representation. That's scriptural. I got it. But you think about that, but we still don't understand how this commandment works. Because the commandments target an extreme form of sin. It says, don't murder. But Jesus said the real point is loving others and valuing their lives like your own. The commandment says, don't steal. But the Apostle Paul has reminded us in weeks past that it is not just stealing, but living lives where you give and bless instead of taking and receiving all the time. Friends, in the same way, this commandment prohibits lying in a court of law. The point of the commandment is loving truth. And in loving truth, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. So I want to ask you this morning, are your words true words and are they blessing words to other people? Are the words that you say doing that? 
True words. Do you exploit commonly truth for your own personal benefit? Do you use the truth that you know to peddle out to get some extra money or something? Do you lie habitually to get yourself out of jams? How many times did the dog eat your homework when you grew up as a kid, right? Think about that. Do you stretch the truth to make yourself look good? You know, I can remember growing up as a kid and starting running 5Ks back. There was Odessa. I ran my first one way out in Odessa. We drove an hour and a half from Plattsburgh to Odessa, which is just crazy. My parents loved me, and they still do, bless their hearts. But I remember back in those days, they did not have those chip timers. Those of you who run know they put a chip on your, your shoe, so that way you can't jump on a subway and finish the race an hour ahead of other people, you know. But I remember racing this race, and a gentleman was running, and he was running in a big group, and then he cut across the city park in Odessa. Have you ever been there before? Cut across the city park. He ended up winning the race. In the front of everyone, he cut across like no one was going to see this guy. He stretched the truth to say that he won when, in fact, he was disqualified for being illegitimate, being dishonest. Are your words true words? Are you trying to stretch them to make yourself look better, even in the midst of your sin? What about blessing words? Do the words you use aim to protect and bless your neighbor? Because, friends, this is not original to me, but I love this. You all love those short, pithy little quotes, so here's one for you. The way we break this most is through the sin of gossip. Gossip, as this little phrase will say up here, is the devil's radio, so don't be his DJ. Don't you love that? Look, we really violate the spirit of this commandment by gossip. It goes against everything. Why is gossip wrong? Because it's not true. It involves exaggeration where you make the fault worse than it perhaps really was. It involves a caricature where you define that person by their fault. Let's be very practical here. Guys, especially, we are dishonest. We are not truthful. Where one girl makes one bad decision with a guy, and that's all we define her as for the rest of her life. We see her whole life through that lens. Or a boss makes you mad, and that's the lens to which you see her. Well, he's asking me to do this work because he was mad at me five years ago because I did this, that, and the other. Well, maybe, but that's not who that person is all the time, or perhaps it isn't at all. Or I'll tell you why you do that, because you love yourself. We love ourselves, don't we, more than we love other people. And we see ourselves positively, but we don't love them, so we negatively gossip about them. And gossip is also wrong, friends, because gossip is usually done without love. I mean, let's be honest here. We're not from the South. Many of you all, many, many Ewans or y'alls are. But we always say phrases like we've said before, bless their heart. We, we, we will like throw them under the bus, but man, whew, bless their heart. Don't we do that? Or, you know I love him to death. I love him to pieces, but, or the worst, and I mean the worst Christian atrocity with this is when we give it in the form of a prayer request. You know, I heard about such and such, and then we say, man, don't, shouldn't we just pray for him right now? Let's just bow our heads, every knee bowed, every eye closed. And we do that. Why? Because someone says, let me share a prayer request. Gossip, 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 gossip. And then we pray, God, help this person who just gossiped to me, and Father, their own heart is so sick and distorted. And then we have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, Lord, how many times have we done that? Gossip violates in every part of this command. You all love gossiping. I love it too. Let's be honest here. But how do we handle it? Friends, don't let the devil be the DJ. That's so, it's so silly to say, but it's so true. Pray, Lord, are my words true words? Or are they blessing words to one another? And what does God think about this? So if we see first, there are two remarks there. What does God feel about this? And 
Look, we can make a list of verses here that could go on and on. And I've given you, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tops. And I'm just going to read these. The references will be up there. But I just want you to listen. Focus in on what the Lord says about a lying, false witnessing tongue. This is what he says in Psalm 5, verse 6. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful men. What about Psalm 15, 1 to 3? The Psalm of David, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, who will dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, does not do evil to his neighbor, nor take reproach against his friend. What about Proverbs chapter 6? The six things the Lord hates, it says, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one that sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12.2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man who is evil in his devices, he condemns. And let's jump all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 21. Many of you love Revelation. This is my Revelation sermon. Are you ready for that? Probably the most requested book of any pastor at any time is preached through Revelation. Well, here's a part of Revelation. Verse 21, chapter 20, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as far as murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What about Revelation twenty-two fifteen? Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And how can we forget Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira? Many of you know this story very well. They're, Ananias and Sapphira sell a part of their land, and they, they, uh, they, they get that money, but they lie to Peter and the apostles about how much was really given. And, and it's amazing, and they both drop dead right there. So be honest with your giving, right? Because God is there. A.W. Tozer said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. Not how it works, but God is still the same. That's right. Friends, when we speak lies, we go against the very God who is truth. When we speak lies, we contradict His nature and unravel His whole integrity. That's what it comes down to. Friends, many of you here today need to repent of trying to preserve yourself and be honest before the Lord. Look, your image is nothing. There are so many people who will go out of great lengths. It's like those Facebook photos. You all know what I'm talking about. It's like those families that take picture-perfect pictures all the time. And they put them up on Facebook. You think, how in the world? We can't even get our kids to go to bed at night. And their, their kids are like sitting perfectly. They got the perfect tilt. I mean, how do they do that? I'm sure there's lots of candy involved. I have a good friend of mine on Facebook, and she posts that she's a photographer, and she posts the behind-the-scenes pictures with permission. And these kids are crying their eyes out, and somehow they get these picture-perfect things. Many of you try and live this picture-perfect Facebook social media world where nothing bad can ever be posted, nothing bad. I'm not saying you should spill your guts out there, but be real with yourself before the Lord. Do you have a problem exaggerating the truth for your benefit or for what it looks like in your identity? There's nothing else that unravels us. Friends, know that the Lord is looking on. Most people think we're pretty good people, but what if God judged you just on the words that you spoke? What if he took a, I don't even know if we still have those old tape recorders that were as big as this podium up here you could put around your neck. What if you put around one of those around your neck 
all day and the words that you spoke, would they be a blessing to others, a blessing to the gospel, or would they not? One person has said our words are like a thousand newscasters rushing to file their reports as to the condition of our soul. Friends, Jesus said, by your words you will be condemned. This is a serious, serious thing today. But how do we overcome this? This is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. You know the condition. You know the symptoms. you got all that down. But number three, how do you overcome this? Where do we go from here? Is it just another checklist that we do? Is it just another rule? Is it Dr. Phil's five ways to overcome lying or something like that? No. Friends, that's why we preach the gospel here. If we gave you principles from the Bible, that's not a bad thing. But we want to go through the word. What does it say about this? What does it say and not about this? First, we need to look at this very thing. Two points that we'll look at here quickly. Let's turn our attention to those. Is first, why do we lie? The very reason that we lie. Why do we use our words to distort reality, to tear down others? Because lying grows out of a deep insecurity we all possess in life. Men, especially, if you remember those times in the locker room growing up as a kid. Do you remember these times? Some of y'all, we get to the weights and there are guys that are my size that shouldn't even be lifting the bar that's there, that put on all this stuff. And they get underneath there, you know, oh, 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 you know okay, let's go, guys, go. Oh, and all that chalk comes off, and they get ready. No spotters, no spotters, I got this. They end up throwing out their backs because they're trying. You come on, you guys know this stuff. Or the people who say, yeah, I can run a 100-meter dash in, in 12.2 seconds, and it takes them 12.2 seconds to get out of the blocks when they first start off. It's all, guys, especially, we do this all the time because we are deeply insecure people. We really, really are. This is why many of you spend so much time working overtime because you believe that by lying to yourself, by working harder, working more, you're going to get that promotion. By getting that promotion, you're going to get this, that, and the other, and you can keep up with this family or that family. It's lying to yourself. God will provide. Well, think back to Adam and Eve because they were the story, the first lie, weren't they? The very first lie came straight from the garden. But Adam and Eve, think about the nakedness. Uh, we want to clothe ourselves. Remember, after this very sinful thing, God told them not to eat off one tree. And what did they do? Of course, they did. And then when God came to visit them, they said, well, the serpent made me do it. We're still saying that lie today. But it's a picture of the human condition. As soon as they lied and sin entered the world, they wanted to clothe themselves. Because we are always lying to cover up our insecurity. We feel from losing the security and satisfaction in our relationship with God. That's why, as pastor, my goal each week is not trying to entertain you. I hope you know that. Now, you get pretty entertained by our, our silly lives that, that we live with our family and other things. But, friends, we are not here to entertain you. That is not our goal. We may laugh together and joke together, and I think that's appropriate in its proper place. But our goal each week, as we meet as staff, is not to come together and say, how can we get the next, be the next... Uh, uh, John, what is that comedian's name you love? Troy Hawkins, what's his name? Uh, uh, the comedian, Christian comedian? Tim Hawkins, that's his name, Troy Hawkins. Tim Hawkins, whatever it is. I'm not trying to be a Tim Hawkins if you know who that is. We're not trying to joke about the things that are here. It's a serious matter before the Lord. But Adam and Eve show us from the very start that we are insecure because we are separated from our God. If you're not a Christian here today, you are insecure because you have no security after this life. 
The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But if you're today as a Christian and you are so worried about what people think about you, you need to reevaluate your life with Christ. Friends, there is nothing that Christ has not given you that is sufficient enough to take you through this life. Now we are naked. We don't know we're accepted and valued in Christ. We forget that. We forget that we will be taken care of, so we feel like we have to promote ourselves to show why we're valuable and take care of ourselves, and so we lie to do that. Look, am I saying you shouldn't work hard at work? No, that would be lying. That would be giving a half effort. That would be stealing the time of your employer. What I am saying, though, is ask yourself the question, why am I getting ready to do this? Why? Why am I throwing up another picture of my kids? Is it because I want 50 likes to make myself feel better today? Some people fall for that. What about Jacob? Do you remember this guy, Jacob? What about him? You may recall that he stole Esau, his brother's birthright, by deceiving, lying to his father Isaac into believing that he was his brother. He got all that hairy chest stuff on. You know, why did he do that? Why did he feel the need to somehow do that? Because he did not believe God's nature. He did not believe God's promises were enough for him. So he had to lie, he had to connive and and hoodwink his father into doing something else. He wanted his father's blessing, not God. So now Jacob, you remember the story, he runs away, away and away to get away from it all. And he finds that even though he is a good liar, he meets his match in his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban was just as bad a liar as he was. Oh, yeah, you want to marry my daughter? You want to marry my daughter? Worked seven years for me. And then what does Laban do? You remember the story? He switches out the daughters and gives him the older daughter that he doesn't like. He thinks she's actually pretty ugly, to be quite honest. He wants, he wants the beautiful daughter. And so Jacob does the same thing with his goats before he leaves. You can go read the whole story. Why did they do this? Because both of them, and especially Jacob, was so insecure before God that he didn't trust God's goodness and he didn't trust God's sovereignty even in the midst of his sin. Friends, that's what we do when we lie. We either don't believe God's blessings is enough or we seek the blessing of someone or something else and we're willing to lie about it. It is college football season, so yes, ladies, I'm sorry if you're not a football fan. Here's another reference for you. Many of you all remember the story of Jacob or George O'Leary, back in 2001. Does anyone remember this story? He was a coach that was hired by Notre Dame. If you know anything about football, think Rudy, Rudy, that movie. Notre Dame, the, 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 pride, the, the people who have gold on their helmets when they play, they're not golden right now, but they have gold in their helmets at least. But George O'Leary had been named the head football coach in 2001 of the Notre Dame football. That is, that is an honor in itself. That is a big-time thing. And O'Leary's resume, he said he lettered in football for three years at the University of New Hampshire. I didn't even know New Hampshire had a football team, to be quite honest, let alone that you could letter there. But one reporter wanted to talk to some of his old teammates, so the reporter looked up some of the old teammates and called and said, hey, tell me about O'Leary. Turns out, he had made up that whole entire story. Does anyone remember this from several years gone by? So any sports fanatics? Years before, when he was applying for his first job, O'Leary didn't think his resume was impressive enough. So he never got the blessing unless he beefed it up. And no one had questioned it for all those years, so he assumed the lie was good, and he went on and did that. He lost a prestigious job over that. 
And uh, to be quite frank, Notre Dame has had one or two good seasons since that time. He's a good coach. He really was. But he lied, and they yanked him just because of that, rightfully. I saw a survey this week of 3 million job applicants, 67%. Two-thirds of people said they have lied at least one major time on a resume to make themselves look better and get a job. What are you doing when you do that? You're doing the same thing Adam and Eve did. You're doing the same thing Jacob did. You are lying to secure yourself a blessing because you don't trust God in your life. Why do we do that? Friends, we're insecure. I'm not comfortable with how God has made me. Therefore, I will have 50 plastic surgeries and look worse than I did before. I'm insecure about myself, so therefore, I will work and work and work and work. And friends, there are times God calls you to that, but some, some of us have become such workaholics that we trust more in our provision to provide than trusting that God will provide. doesn't mean you sit on your hands. Paul warned against that. Don't give the bread to the idle man. But it does mean that you trust him. I'm not content with what God is doing in my life, so I become what's called the conference junkie. Some of you all know people like this. There's a conference about this, a conference about that. I don't know how they afford these Christians all the conference fees, like $200 to go. There, there are serial pastors who go to every conference. They, they got like, I went to this conference, this conference, this conference, this conference, this conference. Like, when do you pray? When do you visit your people? How do you do this? You know? But some of us feel that way because we look at someone else's spiritual life and we say, I'm not as spiritual as that person, but if I go to all these conferences and get all this knowledge and read all these books and I'll be as spiritual as that person over there, I'm envying. And you lie to yourself and you lie to others about it. And the tragedy is we spend my life, our lives, pursuing lesser things than what God has wanted us to do. Our selfishness, our drive, our dishonesty cause us to lose relationships, trust, and our integrity really do. So how do you overcome this? I mean, honestly, how do we overcome this? Well, if your lying arises out of insecurity before God, then the way we overcome this is to restore a sense of God's security to our own heart. Many of you are waiting for the silver bullet. Five steps from the pastor to do this. Friends, here's how you overcome it. It's not five steps. It is reminding yourself that in the gospel, that Jesus lived a perfect life, he died. He took the wrath of God. He was buried, and he rose again that you find your security. You don't have to lie anymore. That's why I'm not going to be up here and try and be someone I'm not. I'm not going to try and be the biggest preachers. I know some pastors, bless their hearts, who, who and this is good to an extent. Please don't misunderstand. They study other preachers to the point at which they like have the hair like them. You know what I mean? Some of you all, the fawns. I, I wanted to be the fawns as a kid growing up, you know. Uh, the, I don't even remember the uh, good old days or whatever the thing was called. You know, you study that. Per, the, thank you. Happy days. Good old days. Happy days. It's pretty much the same. But there are pastors who spend so much time trying to be like another pastor that they don't try and be the person God's called them to be. And those pastors need to be reminded, as you need to be reminded, Christian, that you need to remind yourself of the gospel that you were a sinner and that God loved you significantly, infinitely so much that he sent his only son to die for you. How do you overcome lying? You go back to the truth. What is the truth? The truth is you don't deserve heaven. The truth is you deserve judgment and hell. The truth is, is that nothing good resides in you and that in the cross of Jesus, we see the means of taking care of our insecurity, our sin, everything rolled up in the wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ. How do you overcome lying? 
you overcome it by reminding yourself that God did not lie to you when he said, it is finished. He did not lie to you when he said, that is enough. It has been taken care of. And you can rest in that fact. When you're trying to exaggerate your stats to make yourself look really good, may your soul find refuge in what God has made you to be. Ladies, when you look at another lady and say, I'm not that beautiful, I'm not that pretty, I can't just melt into that dress like the other person, friends. Look, I'm not saying you shouldn't be healthy, but look, God has made you who you are. Are you happy and content with that? You don't need a plastic surgery. You need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, reassure me of who I am. Because ladies, you are beautiful. God has made you beautiful in that way. And husbands, you need to remind your ladies of that, future ladies of that, more than anything else. There's an odd scene going back to Jacob that happens right before he dies. And I'm going to skip ahead in my notes here because it's so interesting. It takes place right before he dies. He crosses his hands. He crosses his hands, one hand of blessing and one hand of cursing, because with one hand he had connived his whole life lying, but with the other he had blessed. And at the end of his life, he knew that God had blessed him because he didn't have to lie anymore. He was secure in what God told him to be. Friends, what is so destructive about lying is it makes you insecure. Let's look at the second point and we'll end with this. How can you overcome this? You need to remind yourself of the gospel. You need to do that. But secondly, you need to know that lying keeps you from knowing and experiencing the healing of God himself in the gospel. God deals in the realm of reality. God is not a college classroom where anything goes as long as you can back it up with an argument. I've read numerous books about business. And the one thing that a successful business does is it tells the truth. Uh, We were at National American University. I'm saying that publicly. And I was in charge of the numbers each week, retaining students, trying to get all these numbers done. And look, uh, my bosses, we get on a weekly call with the president of the, of the university. Okay, Darren, what's the numbers for the week? Well, we lost 20, 20, 20 people this week. Cricket, 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 you know, waiting for the job, the axe to fall down, you know, all that stuff. It was so tempting, so, so tempting to say, no, we did this, that, and the other, and these are the real numbers. But you know what? They can type in the same computer I can and within five seconds pull up that same data. You have to be very, very careful But one thing about businesses that run well is they are honest with themselves to the point at which they don't have to lie about numbers to get success. Friends, the same thing with you. What keeps many of you from God or from his healing is you are just not honest with him. Honestly, you're not. You go before him and say, Lord, I've messed up. I've done this. I've done that. But have you been specific in asking God about to forgive you about something? Can God forgive you generally? Yes, he can. But have you taken your specific sins in and said, Lord, I'm back here again. Will you please help me fight this? Let me illustrate this through John 4 with the woman at the well. Many of you know this story, right? John chapter 4. And we're not going to read it, but I'll just summarize it for you. This woman comes to Jesus at the noon hour, which that alone is a huge uh, historical tick there by John. Is This woman didn't do that. She was an outcast. And we learn in John chapter 4 that the story of this woman She had not repented of repeated affairs and is shacking up now with a man who's not her husband. Basically, she is a skank by today's terminology, if I can use such a word. She was terrible. People hated her. And Jesus goes through a little charade with her to lead her to a point. He comes up to her in in modern day vernacular says, how are you? uh, He asks her for some water. And he tells her, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking me for water. And Jesus said, uh, if I knew who you were, you'd be begging me for a drink, lady, is basically what he says. 
And she says, well, how would you draw the water? You don't have a rope or a bucket here. Come on, are you, are you dumb? And Jesus says, no, I have water you know nothing about. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst again. It's almost like non-verbally in the text, the woman just says, shut up, stop. You're way ahead of yourself here. And Jesus comes back and says, no, I'm being serious for real. And the woman in modern day vernacular says, okay, wise guy, give me a drink of this water where I'm not thirsty. And what does Jesus do? You remember the stories? He turns it spiritual, doesn't he? He says, okay, I'll do that. Go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right, because you have divorced multiple people at that point. You all remember that story? All of a sudden, what Jesus has been saying makes sense. How this woman is living a life is similar to how she comes to the well, and she's hiding. She's not being honest with how lonely she is, and she's hiding her sin. So Jesus exposes her for it. He says, look, here it is. And he says, God only wants you to know and worship him in spirit and in truth. And the only way to do that, friend, is to be honest. That's where God dwells in. He dwells in reality. Friends, I don't know about you, but many of us cannot access the forgiveness of God like that woman at the well because we are not honest before the Lord about our sin in our lives. This is what is happening to you. Some of you have deep, dark secrets and deep, dark pain in your lives. And I'm not so naive as to realize that even in this room, there are a number of secrets going on. There may be affairs going on in this room. There may be people who are secretly alcoholics or drug addicted in this room. I definitely know there are men who struggle, and even women with pornography, that have not admitted that to spouse or anyone else except the Lord. There are some of you who are broken and lonely. You just don't know how to go on. And we have businessmen in here who are scared about the future, who are scared about, will this presidency be positive or negative or, or whatever it is? Friends, here's the last application point Amy's going to throw up there for you. You have to come out into the light and be honest before God and by extension others before you can get help. That is not AA, that is not NA, that is, that is a principle they use, friends. That is biblical truth. Think about Peter when he denied Christ three times and Jesus came to him and asked him repeatedly after the resurrection, Peter, do you love me? And what did he say? Yes, I love you then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And finally it got to the point where Peter says, Lord, don't you know that I love you? And the answer is yes, he did love it. But Peter had to come to the point where Jesus literally prophesied, you will deny me three times. He had to be that broken before the Lord before he could get away and overcome this lying. People say, sure, you should always be confessing your sin. But some others would say, no, that's embarrassing. People will use it against you. Yes, they might. They might do that, friends. But there's nothing greater than a great Savior. If I convince you I'm a great guy, that's one thing. I get to you and emulate that. But if there's a great Savior, there is hope. And friends, there is hope for you today. Jesus was willing to speak truth to your life. Many of you need to come during our time of, of, of worship after the sermon, and you need to kneel at this altar right here, and you need to confess your sin. Being at this altar does not make you more holy than other people, but it does show publicly that you may need to confess your sin. How many people are still stuck in the same sin in the midst of a destructive lifestyle because one of us hasn't spoken truth to them? Friends, some of you are coming out of the, into the light. You need to stay there. It's Get adjusted. It's the light of your depravity and the light of God's character. It's like coming out of a movie theater after a dark movie in the day. You know what I'm talking about? And your eyes just, whoa, I don't want to ever do that again. But if you will be honest, Jesus will help you. 
on the cross is where Jesus clearly told the truth about us. It's where he exposed our sin and showed us we need destruction, but he was the one that took the destruction for us. Friends, we see that even though we are sinners, God has loved and accepted us anyway by dying in our place. Amen? I don't have to worry about the blessing of others. I have his blessing. I don't have to protect myself and my interest in the cross. I see he protects me from everything. That is the great soul today. How do you overcome a lying spirit? Remind yourself of the gospel. That is the truth. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to be honest before the Lord about that. We have our deacon of the month, Lauren and uh, his wife, Maisel, in the back. If you need to, after we pray here in just a second, talk with them. Please do so. Matt will be up here up front. You do that. But if you're here today and you're a Christian, exaggeration, self-identity, promotion of yourself is more in your life than the proclamation of the gospel. You need to repent of that. Friends, if your business card is a quicker draw for you than the gospel of Jesus Christ, check your heart. It's business. Yes, it is. And you need to work. But be very careful that your name is not greater than God's name in your life. Friends, would you pray that for our church? Let me say a word to our church here. I have said this phrase many times. Many of you can say it by, we are not here to make a six flags over Jesus. Jesus has already stomped over six flags at his death, burial, and resurrection. When that tomb went, boom! Six flags went down the drain. They can't make a ride like that. Trust me. They can't. We are not here to make much of Tower View. We are here to make much of Christ together at Tower View by being his people and being honest with one another. If this church ever becomes a six flag over Jesus, Deb, you have all authority to fire me right away. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic. I'm being very serious. Because, friends, we are not here to entertain. We are here to grow together, right? To be the church together, especially in times like these. If the fog machine, if we ever get one of those, becomes more important than whatever else we do here, Matt, I'm out of here. I don't know about you. Gilbert, I'm out of here. I don't know about you. Friends, pray that this church is not known for what we do, but who we stand for. That is our ultimate prayer. Let's pray.